Again, uh, good morning. Would you uh, join me in opening up our Bibles to Psalm 150? Psalm 150, you'll find that on page 526 if you want to use a blue uh, pew Bible in front of you. But um, just to echo a little bit of what uh, Megan said uh, during the worship time this morning, uh, we really wanted to earmark this Sunday as a Sunday that we could really spotlight um, all the different ages and demographics in our church family, and and not to just have everybody in the service, but to include uh, multiple generations in the service, to have some of our kids um, up here singing, uh, to have one of our teen leaders uh, praying, um, and and to just all throughout really just show and celebrate how intergenerational Grace Church really is. Uh, If you were to look around, even on a summer Sunday, at just, just how intergenerational we are, that is a rarity in churches today, and we want to celebrate that, just God's grace upon this church, and even looking back, back at this past week to see um, uh, we had a member in I think her late 80s pass away after a good long life serving the Lord and then two days later we had a baby born down the road and just that just that image of um, a well done good and faithful servant exiting the world into glory and then one uh, coming into the world whom God knew Lila before the foundations of the world were formed and we just met her on Thursday. And so, man, just praise God for that. Um, And at Grace Church, we have about 100 boys and girls between birth and 18 years old. And it's just a joy to have everybody in the service together. So um, kids, normally, right, at this point, you're downstairs and and, and you're not, right? So you're in here with us. And I know, uh, because I was a kid once, like, this is the time of the service, like, you just tuned the preacher out, right? You just went down uh, kind of doodling. And so let me uh, just encourage you. Uh, to, to try and dial in here. And, and, and the reason is because it is our conviction that the Word of God and its gospel message within its pages is simple enough to be understood by children and yet deep enough to be explored by scholars. Amazing grace. And even throughout the year when the kids do get dismissed downstairs, they're, they're not going down just to play games. They're not going down just to be entertained. They're not just being told that they should obey their parents or be good kids. They're being taught the gospel. And they're being taught the gospel week in and week out in a context that is geared toward them. Simple enough to be understood by children. Deep enough to be explored by scholars. So this morning, uh, we are going to wrap up our summer series in the book of Psalms. Uh, a series that we hoped from the beginning would stir our hearts for both uh, public worship and private devotion. A public worship and private devotion. And something I've said all along uh, this summer is that we will find over and over again in the book of Psalms, if you just sit down and read it, you will find yourself uh, both thinking about God and feeling for God. That its contents, some of the most powerful and detailed aspects of like who God is, like not just the things he does, but who he actually is are within the Psalms. And at the same time, it, it's poetry, right? They, they are written, written as songs for the nation of Israel because Israel knew then, as we know now, that music invokes an emotion that hits at a deeper level. And so this morning, fittingly, we are going to finish the series with the final psalm, Psalm 150. And um, I don't always do this, but just being this is a church family service, I'm going to ask us all, it's short, we're all going to read it together. So would you just stand as we just read Psalm 150 together? I will read it along with you on the screen. Um, 
uh, just read along with me. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud, clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Take a seat. Psalm 150 is a short, um, stunningly simple psalm. And it has one phrase on repeat. Praise the Lord. So here's what gets me thinking. Like, like why do you think when, when the Psalter was compiled and put together, why was this one chosen to be the last one? Why do you think this was the final note of a long, diverse set of songs? I mean, just think about how complex and deep the emotions are in their entirety. Uh, just reading, just even if you just chose a few psalms, you would find love and delight and awe and loneliness and discouragement and regret and marvel and shame and joy and gladness and fear and sorrow and anger and grief and pain and gratitude and hope. And that's just starting the list off. And yet... With all that, the ending is a simple, unadulterated praise of God. James Boyce says about this that Psalm 150 is the way it is because everything that had needed to be said has been said. And now all there is left to do is praise. Or I love the way Charles Spurgeon describes the reasoning for this because he always just seems to paint the perfect picture and illustration. And he said, he said, going through the Psalms is like going on a long, gruesome hike up a mountain where the trail will have all kinds of terrains and elevations. It will wind all around. You will have portions of the trail where you're just covered in darkness from the trees overhead. And then at times, you'll come upon small stretches where the sunlight streams through before then being blocked again by crowding trees and plunged back into darkness. And it's not until you get to the summit, above the tree line, where you're just bathed in sunlight and where the hike has been complete and you can bask in all of its brilliance, looking back and realizing it was all worth it. That's Psalm 150. It's like an elderly son or daughter of God who looks back over the trail and remembers all the struggles, the times they had to fight for their marriage, the times they had to suffer through the drift of wayward children, through terrible seasons at work or unemployment, through physical pain, through emotional bouts of depression and moments of spiritual doubt, wondering when and if this will ever end, and just resolving to keep fighting, keep walking, keep going up the mountain, and then getting to the top and realizing God never left you. God never left you, and all there is to do when you get to the top and look back is say, praise the Lord. That's Psalm 150. 
Not all praise is um, noisy or uh, complete and utter celebration because we've seen even in this series where there's, there's times of praise that is done with tears. There's times of lament and, and sorrow and there's times of thanksgiving and this kind of quiet confidence kind of praise in the midst of trial. But Psalm 150, church, is utter celebration. That there are times in life to blow the roof off with your praise where it is relentless, where there's no holding back, where you don't care who's watching, and now is that time. Psalm 150. And so it is a simple outline this morning, one that all could follow, one that, Lord willing, will be shorter because we have children in the room, but no promises. (laughs) If we're taking notes, kids, even if you are taking notes, we're going to look at praising the Lord where it should be done why it should be done, how it should be done, and who it should be done by, okay? Where, why, how, who. Let's start with where. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Okay, first he says in his sanctuary. Uh, At the time of this being written, the psalmist is thinking about the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. uh, An earthly temple where God's word tells us his glory dwelled. Um, Once a year, the high priest of Israel would go into the deepest part of the temple to a room called the Holy of Holies. And he would make an atonement for all the people of Israel. Atonement meaning um, uh, what God has done to forgive his people. And it would always be done through a sacrifice. And, and, and room would, uh, the room would fill with smoke of incense. And this would be every single year a day that would cause the people to praise. How could it not? God saved us. God delivered us through a sacrifice. And this is celebrated in the Holy of Holies. The Latin phrase for holy of holies was sanctum sanctorum. It's from that that we get the English word sanctuary. A, a holy place, a sacred place, right? Churches nowadays, like, and I get it, right? They're starting new churches and they're in warehouses and they call it the auditorium or the warehouse or the common room. But like Grace Church, man, this is the sanctuary. Like that's not a word that's going to go away. That this is where we come, and it's not that there's something special about this room, but we come and hoping week in and week out, we become a part of a people that hearts just get stirred when we walked in for the Lord. And people have been doing that in this room for 70 years, or doing it in this church, maybe in this room for like 50, 60 years, and we're just carrying that forward one more Sunday, walking into this sanctuary, a holy place, to sing praises to the Lord. So praise God in his sanctuary, but listen, this isn't the only place that you can praise. Because now praise is not limited to the temple. It's not limited to a building. In fact, that Jewish temple that he's writing about, that's not even there anymore. That got destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. But when Jesus Christ came, he fulfilled the law. He was the final atonement for sin. He was the final sacrifice. And we don't need an earthly high priest anymore on this earth because Jesus is our high priest. And therefore, listen, we read this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. This is Paul speaking. Or do you not know that your body is a temple? 
Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. The spirit and glory of God is not contained to a building. It's not contained to a room. It is within believers of Jesus Christ. Which means now, when we read praise God in his sanctuary, it means praise God wherever your body is. Translation, everywhere. While on earth there is nowhere you'll go that your body isn't also there. So praise him wherever you are. Praise him whatever season you are in. You will never have to wait until the next Sunday to praise God. So let it fly. You've heard the phrase, wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. So praise him. It's not a Sunday thing. You're robbing yourself if it's a Sunday thing. It's not a building thing. There can again be a sacred place with a location, but ultimately the church is the bodies of the saints. It is the people. So church, praise him when you drive to work on Monday. Praise him when you finish dinner with the family on Tuesday. Praise him at the gym on Wednesday. Praise him in the classroom on Thursday, in the boardroom on Friday, at the restaurant on Saturday. Praise him wherever you are. So praise him in his sanctuary, but also, it says, in his mighty heavens. Whether on earth or in heaven, praise the name of the Lord. It's happening everywhere. Last week, we spoke about how expansive the heavens are, right? How the sky is a window into the heavens, and we can't even count the stars without running out of names for all those zeros. Like, let alone fully grasp just how big they are. So let's just do this real quick, right? How many, raise hand high, if you saw the eclipse with those flimsy glasses on Monday? Raise them high. Elaine, raise it high. No, no shame, all right? Um, you all entrusted your sight with a flimsy pair of two-hour glasses, all right? I'm just, just, just laying that down, but you went for it. Um, but listen, you are a part of tens of millions of people in the U.S. looking at the sky on one day in one moment, and the majority of which allowed their worship to culminate on the sun and the moon. How sad, how tragic that they worship the sun and the moon instead of the one who made the sun and the moon. Like, I feel like if the, if the sun and moon could talk, they'd be like, are you serious? Like, don't worship me. Like, don't be impressed with me. Like, look who made me. I saw someone tweet out on Monday, not sure who the original author is, but, but it said, the sun will burn your eyes out from 92 million miles away, and yet you expect to casually stroll into the presence of his creator. So where do we praise him? We praise him in his sanctuary. We praise him in the mighty heavens, on earth, in heaven. We praise him everywhere. Second, why? Why do we praise him? We read, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Right? This is the only verse in Psalm 150 as to why you ought to praise his name, and yet it is more than enough. He said, praise him for what he's done, and praise him for who he is. Church, what else do we need? 
apart from God, our, um, if we just think about praise in general, right, apart from God, our level of praising someone or something is based on that same outline. We praise people based on what they've done, and we praise them on who they are. All right, so get the picture in your head of your favorite celebrity right now. Athlete, um, actor, musician, politician. I hope it's not a politician, but hey, whatever your favorite celebrity is, who is that person that if you were to just get into a room with them one-on-one, you'd start to like shake out of nerves? Like, like your hands would start to sweat and, uh, just because of what they've done to the point where you would probably say something stupid right off the bat. that You'd be like, no, not, did not want to start that way. Like who's that person that would just make you nervous standing in front of them? Or maybe uh, it's closer to home. It's somebody in your family, and, and you're praising what they've done for what they've done locally for charity. Let's say um, your son or your daughter did a simple act like held the door for an elderly couple without being told. Like a, a deed, an act that is worthy of praise, right? They have done something that people will freak out over. Well, if all these things are worthy of praise that we have in our minds right now, let's just talk about our God. His mighty deeds. He spoke creation into being spoke it into being. All the beauty, all the strength, all the power of all of creation came about because God said, let there be light. He parted the Red Sea and allowed 1.5 million people to cross to get away from the most powerful army in the world. He raised up a teenage boy who herded sheep to be the one to conquer a powerful giant and save Israel from captivity. And in order to overcome the most powerful real enemy that the world has ever seen, that caused the fall of the world through sin, where all of us were rightfully rendered guilty, rightfully deserving of eternal punishment, he acted. He sent his only son to live the perfect life we could not and then die the death we deserved so that by his resurrection we may be given eternal life. Talk about mighty deeds. And so let me ask all of us this morning, are are you able to praise him for what he has done? Not just as an objective observer who sees from a distance, but as a subjective beneficiary whose sins have been forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. Can you praise him for that this morning? It is my hope that we both have that as part of our story. And if not, all that is keeping you from doing so is trusting your life to Jesus Christ. By believing he is the son of God. That he died to cleanse you from sin. That he was raised again to offer you new life and enter you into a community, into a holy calling, into a special purpose in your life. Praise his holy name. And we praise him for his mighty deeds because of his excellent greatness. Right? You can't separate who he is from what he has done. It is an amazing thing, unbelievably amazing thing that holiness and acts of power are united. 
Think about this with me. Power without holiness, that's just oppressive and cruel. And yet, holiness without power would just be weak and ineffective. But you put the two together to an infinite degree, and where they meet stands the God of the Bible. He is sovereign, holy, omniscient, immutable, gracious, merciful, good, compassionate, just, wise, and loving. And this God is for you. He has done mighty things to open up a way for you to walk so that you may have life and have it abundantly. Once again, Spurgeon says here on this verse, he says, There is nothing little about God, and there is nothing great apart from Him. There is nothing little about our God, and there is nothing great apart from Him. And we know this. We know who He is, and we know what He's done because of our Bibles and what we see and read in His Word. So so kids, teens, adults, like don't let anyone tell you that your Bible is boring, or that your Bible is outdated, or your Bible is pointless. Read your Bibles. Live in it. Ask your parents to read it to you. Be hungry for the bread of life that is contained in its pages. It tells us about God, and it tells us about what he's done. Third, how do we praise? So we've seen where, and we've seen why. Now we see how. Praise him with a trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. First off, I can't let this go. If anyone complains about the volume of our worship, I'm sending you to Psalm 150, all right? Loud, clashing cymbals. Um, No, I'm just kidding. Not really. I'm kind of kidding, all right? Um, But when explaining how we are to praise God, the psalmist uses instruments to get this point across. And that answer of how should we worship him is with everything you've got. Okay, so I am music deficient, all right? I have shared that on multiple times, right? I mean... Four-year-olds are getting the mic up here before me to sing, all right? And, like, that is not by mistake. Um, I love music, but I have zero gifting with anything surrounding it. So now, as I begin to talk instruments, just know, like, I'm already treading water in the deep end right now, okay? But, but thank you to study and commentaries and a worship leader. Um, I know, and now you know, the psalmist doesn't pick instruments at random here. He picks them from each of the three branches of musical instruments, from wind and string and percussion. And I do know enough about Bible history to know that when we think about the trumpet and the Bible says trumpet, we're probably not thinking about the same thing, all right? So I got some visuals of just three instruments that he mentions up here. So this is your trumpet in the ancient Jewish culture. I think I could play that. I I, I think I could blow into that, um, but I'm probably of resting myself. Then we have the harp, right? What David is playing to sheep before he goes and slays a giant. And then we have uh, the tambourine. I was giving Jeff a hard time. And I, remember, I was little, remember him up here, like using a tambourine on a weekly basis. That's not a thing anymore, I don't think. Um, 
And I didn't find symbols, but I'm pretty sure symbols just haven't changed in 2,000 years. You just take two metal things and you crash them as hard as you can. But, but he's using instruments from all different kinds of uh, the three branches of, of, of musical instruments. And so in some ways, I think we can look at why he's writing literal instruments. And, and we can understand on some level that they are helpful aids in praising the Lord. Right? If someone were just to innocently ask you, like, why, why do we use instruments in worship? Well, why don't we just have a bunch of people line up and just sing a cappella on the front? Like, why do we need any instruments? I think you could get into a discussion of how they enhance the depth behind the words we're singing. And practically how they help uh, the church gather together and sing together and to make a joyful noise. Um, so I think you could go down that road, but... But as I read this psalm in context with the rest of what he's saying, I think he's just using instruments to make a deeper point. That we ought to praise him with whatever we can. We ought to repraise him with all that we have. Every gifting, every fiber in our being should be angled towards praising him for he alone is worthy. It's not that God is glory hungry. It's not that he's vain or that he needs our praise in order to exist. But it's for his glory and our joy and our good that we praise him deeper than anything else. Even if you've been saved for decades and you'll never walk into church and hear a passage you haven't heard preached on, and you've never heard something that you haven't heard before, it does the heart good to praise the Lord. To relentlessly not hold back, not because you learned something new, but because, praise God, you've been reminded of what you already know. And he endures forever, and he alone is unchanging. And everything we praise here, it could change. Everything we praise here, it's unreliable. It has an end to it. And so it's not wrong to praise other things because we do it all the time. But nothing should match the fervor. Nothing should match the regularity and intensity in which we praise the Lord. If something does surpass him in our lives, that becomes our God. And that God will disappoint you in due time. Last question. Who? Who should this everywhere you go with everything you've got kind of praise be done by. And the end of the entire Psalter ends on this. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And thus ends this Psalter with 150 installments, installments and renditions after all the high peaks and all the low valleys and all the twists and turns and all the times of thanksgiving and lament and confidence and wisdom and kingship, we end with a simple yet enduring call to praise the Lord. And so I don't know how this hits you this morning. But let me just reiterate again, church, it does the heart good to not hold back in your praise, for he is worthy of praise. And if you're a believer this morning, this should deepen the longer we've been saved, not lessen. And listen, over time, uh, you live long enough and you will feel some hurts. 
and you will have a long list of disappointments, and you will have struggles that span from physical to emotional and spiritual, and again, the older you get, the longer your list will be, and yet, how amazing it is that the longer you live, and the longer you see, and the more you suffer, alongside that, the more you can look back and say, praise the Lord. So let's not hold back. Let's not let this become normal. Let's not look at the holiness of God or the power of God and just let it gloss over. Let it fly. But I know there also may be some in here who you can honestly say you've never done this before. You've never known God in this way to praise him like this. He's never been interesting enough to you. He's never been good enough to you. He's, he's, he's never been powerful enough. And, and maybe you can kind of see it from a distance and, and almost respect the passion and, and enjoy the fervor you see and hear in others. But for you yourself, it's just hard to take this seriously. It's hard to take this personally. It is our prayer that the Spirit would work a miracle in your heart. To revive your soul, not because of what I'm saying, but because of what God's doing in and through your life by his word and through his Holy Spirit. Because listen, this is why I hope it revives in you soon. One, utter and complete joy in your life regardless of circumstances. Not surface level happiness because that's going to come and go, but deep joy. I hope it happens for you because of God's glory. That he would be glorified in and through you. That your gifting that he has given you would be used to impact his kingdom. And lastly, I hope this happens for all of us because this is where all of history is headed. Where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. And for those who put their hope and faith in Jesus Christ, the the opportunity to fully and perfectly praise him forever, that is our inheritance. And it will be the fullest, most unimaginable, joyful praise that we, we could ever even imagine, and then some. And our most awakened, most soul-stirring moment we've ever had here on earth will just be scratching the surface of what it will be like in glory. And listen, it's never going to stop. So let me close this morning by showing you uh, the sneak peek of what this is going to be like that the Bible provides. It will be on the screen as told in Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 11. Then I looked... And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbing myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the seas and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory forever and ever. Psalms, public worship, private devotion to all people. Praise him everywhere for all that he is with everything you've got. Let's pray. Father, it's our deep and sincere prayer that this is a reminder for many this morning.
that hearts are stirred, that lives are reawakened for your namesake, that we would dedicate yourselves to the calling you've placed before us because you alone are worthy. I pray for this room and everybody in it. We are all across the map in terms of uh, uh, happiness right now. Lord, there is struggle, serious, deep struggle out here in this room this morning. And that doesn't cancel out our call to praise you. That deepens it. And I pray that even if it's just one or two in this room right now would just be deepened and reawakened in their praise of you regardless of circumstance, that your name would be glorified in that. And Father, we pray for those who don't know you, that your word this morning would do a mighty work, that eyes would be opened to not only who you are, but what you've done, and there where those meet at the cross of Jesus Christ is where we can worship and praise you for the first time. Father, we hope for it, we pray for it, we plea for it, and it's all for your name we pray. Amen.